You've tuned in to Chaos to the Fly, a podcast for fans of the darkness and the supernatural by Greg Newbigin. If you'd like to reach out to provide feedback or say hello, send an email to info at chaostothefly.com or if you'd like to share an experience, send the details to stories at chaostothefly.com and it might be included on future episodes. Now, let's get down to business, shall we? G'day, fly people. Welcome to episode number seven of series one of Chaos to the Fly. We are almost halfway through this first season. This is crazy, crazy, but good. So thank you for sticking around with me as we go on this little journey through horror and uh, scary stuff. Got a pretty good episode, I think, this week. Last week, you might have missed out on some Mexican folklore with La Llorona. Uh, That was pretty interesting. The Weeping Woman. Uh, I also had an interesting haunted ghost story, haunted ghost story, uh-huh, haunted house story, and I reviewed Girl on the Third Floor with wrestler turned MMA fighter turned movie star CM Punk. That was pretty good. So check that out if you missed it. Missed it? That was a weird way of pronouncing things, but hey, we'll go with it. This week we have... Background on Leviathan and Behemoth, which just popped into my head and I decided to cover it this week. So, turned out to be much bigger than I expected. We've got an interesting ghost story this week titled The Sinister Spirit. Really, really interesting one. Another long one, actually, but uh, very worth listening to. And I am reviewing Terrifier. Since I referred to it last week, I thought I may as well do the review this week. Definitely recommend you check that out if you like B-grade, Z-grade. Slasher flicks, it's really good. Anyway, too long, didn't listen. That's what that was. But make sure you listen to find out why. <laughs> anyway, on with, on with the show. <laughs> Leviathan and Behemoth. The words Leviathan and Behemoth aren't likely to be new to anybody, really. They're fairly common in the modern vernacular as words used to describe things that are exceptionally large. But, like many other things, there is a lot more to them. Some may be aware of the references to both Leviathan and Behemoth in the Old Testament of the Christian Bible and thus the Hebrew Bible, really. But interestingly, there's a lot more to them. Not only in terms of modern cultural appropriation, but also in terms of their history prior to adaptation in Abrahamic religion. That said, let's start with the biblical references. The Leviathan, as you may well be aware, is often depicted as a massive beast of the sea, a sea serpent or a dragon of sorts. It was referenced in the Hebrew Bible five times across the book of Job, Psalms and Isaiah. The book of Job describes him best. Now, this is a large chunk. I thought I would just include this section complete. Who can open the doors of his face? Round about his teeth is terror. His scales are his pride. Shut up together as with a close seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They're joined to one another. They stick together that they cannot be sundered. His sneezings flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning torches, and sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils goeth smoke, as out of a seething pot and burning rushes. His breath kindleth coals, and a flame goeth out of his mouth. 
in his neck abideth strength, and dismay danceth before him. The flakes of his flesh are joined together, they are firm upon him, they cannot be moved. His heart is as firm as a stone, yea, firm as the nether millstone. When he raiseth himself up, the mighty are afraid, by reason of despair they are beside themselves. If one lay at him with the sword, it will not hold, nor the spear, the dart, nor the pointed shaft. He esteemeth iron as straw, and brass as rotted wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones are turned with him into stubble. Clubs are accounted as stubble. He laugheth at the rattling of the javelin. Sharpest potsherds are under him, whatever that is. He spreadeth a threshing sledge upon the mire. He maketh the deep to boil like a pot. He maketh the sea to seething mixture. He maketh a path to shine after him. One would think the deep to be hoary. Upon earth there is not his like, who is made to be fearless. He looketh at all high things. He is king over all the proud beasts. Interesting terminology, and interesting considering, especially interesting considering he is meant to be a sea serpent. There's lots of flames and smoke, so obviously he can exit the sea when he needs to, <laughs> I guess. In Isaiah, Leviathan is referred to as the coiling serpent who will be slain at the end of time. In that day, the Lord will punish with his sword, his fierce, great and powerful sword, Leviathan the gliding serpent, Leviathan the coiling serpent, he will slay the monster of the sea. I, the Lord, watch over it, I water it continually, I guard it day at night, so that no one may harm it. Interesting stuff, whatever you personally think of religion, and I'm not a religious person myself, the Bible is a highly evocative and interesting text. The image that this mostly evokes for me when referring back to ancient religions is that of ancient Nordic beliefs, particularly those of Thor and Jormungunda. Jormungunda, Jormun, you know, the big world serpent. However, it is believed that the root of Leviathan arose from more ancient beliefs, namely of Lotan, a sea monster of Canaanite belief. Of course, sea monsters and the like were often featured in religions of this time, of this area of time and space, ancient Sumeria told of the god Ninurta defeating a seven-headed serpent, and later Babylonian creation myths actually attribute the creation of the heavens and earth as the direct result of the god Marduk slaying Tiamat, herself a serpent goddess. And what of Behemoth? There are fewer references to Behemoth in the Bible, in fact, there's really only a single reference in the book of Job. Behold now behemoth, which I made with thee. He eateth grass as an ox. Lo now, his strength is in his loins, and his force is in the navel of his belly. He moveth his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. He is the chief of the ways of God. He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. Surely the mountains bring him forth food, where all the beasts of the field play. He lieth under the shady trees in the covert of the reed and fens. The shady trees cover him with their shadow. The willows of the brook compass about him. Behold, he drinketh up a river, and hasteth not. He trusteth that he can draw up Jordan into his mouth. He take it with his eyes. His nose pierceth through snares. Weird stuff. 
However, there are men- mentions to Behemoth in other ancillary texts, such as the Book of Enoch, or Enoch, however you do pronounce that, and what is Behemoth? He's a great beast of the land, sometimes depicted as an elephant, a hippopotamus, or rhinoceros. Some scholars debate the very literalness of the texts and references to reeds and fens and all that kind of stuff, suggesting that certain terms used in description clearly demonstrate that the writer was actually referring to an elephant or a rhino specifically. But I'd prefer to picture something more beastly and evil, personally. That's just me. A very separate creature of mythology, Bahamut, is believed to be clearly an extrapolation of the name Behemoth, but it refers to a sea monster once again, kind of tying Behemoth to Leviathan. Both Behemoth and Leviathan are believed to be of Babylonian origin, Behemoth of the Earth and representing masculinity, and Leviathan of the Sea representing femininity. Interestingly, while both have existed in religious tradition over a great deal of time, There are far more references to Leviathan than to Behemoth in modern texts. Perhaps Leviathan is a more aesthetically pleasing word, maybe. Or perhaps there's just more mystery in the depths of the ocean. Anyway, let's look at modern pop culture. And starting with Behemoth this time, there have been a couple of books and a couple of movies named Behemoth. But to my knowledge, at least, nothing really of note, and sorry to any of you out there that may have written a book or a movie called Behemoth, but that's just the way it is. More popularly, Behemoth has been used as a character name in various comic books and video games, the most notable of which being Final Fantasy, the Jack and Daxter series, and Evolve. But lastly, there have been a few notable songs named Behemoth, the most notable of these being by the bands Electric Wizard and Static X, I guess. But for me... The biggest use of the word behemoth, to me at least, refers to the Polish blackened death metal band Behemoth. They're pretty great. I recommend you listen to them if you like that kind of thing. Leviathan, though. Leviathan has been referred to by Milton in Paradise Lost. The poet William Blake and, of course, the great Moby Dick itself was a Leviathan of the sea. Leviathan Wakes is the first novel in the wonderful Expanse series of sci-fi novels. Seriously, watch the TV series, it is great. In fact, there are many references to Leviathan in books and music. Mastodon, Ailstorm, Parkway Drive, you name it, of course, mostly metal bands, but interestingly, some rappers as well. Leviathan has been referenced in some way across multiple movies and TV shows, including Farscape, Hellraiser, Supernatural, Veep, Red Dwarf, Agent Carter, and many more, including anime, and Full Metal Alchemist and Digimon are two examples of this. Dave Bautista, WWE wrestler, was originally known as the Leviathan while he wrestled for Ohio Valley Wrestling in the early 2000s, and in video games, there's an even longer list, including classics such as XCOM, Final Fantasy, Grand Theft Auto, Halo, EVE Online, Warcraft, Starcraft, Mass Effect. Castlevania, Legend of Zelda, Devil May Cry, Destiny, Gears of War. The list goes on. That's probably not even half of it. It's massive. Like a Leviathan. Anyway, a topic I thought would be pretty short and sweet, to be honest, turned out to be a behemoth. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, excluding maybe the dad jokes.
This week's ghost story is titled Sinister Spirit and comes to me from Sinister Scroller in the Reddit Ghost Stories subreddit. It's another fairly lengthy but very well written story told almost verbatim. I've been interested in the paranormal and unexplained events for as long as I can remember. I have had and continue to have paranormal encounters and it's become somewhat normal to me, although it is still unnerving. The most compelling story I tell to date refers to when I lived on a military base at 14 years old. It was roughly 2200 hours or 10pm on a weekend night and I'd just finished watching a horror film, I can't remember which one. I was suddenly inspired to make contact with the dead. I did five minutes of research on my laptop, clearly enough to be an expert on the matter, and sat on my bedroom floor in the dark. I placed my full-length mirror in front of me, leaned it against my bed and lit a candle. I stared at my reflection for what felt like forever, and finally muttered some gibberish along the lines of, if there's anyone here, show yourself, and I'm opening the gates to communication, please come forth. I would pause and wait and stare at the mirror, focusing my eyes on the surroundings behind me. I waited for something to appear, but naturally nothing did. The longer I sat there, the more uncomfortable I became. I gave up after ten minutes and called it a night. To this day, this is the only explanation I have as to how the haunting began. I'd lived in this same house for three years prior and never experienced any paranormal activity. As previously stated, I was 14 years old and going through an angsty time in my life. Depression, self-harm, my first heartbreak. I was emotionally negative and part of me feels like whatever I welcomed into the house felt that energy. You see, now I know that when you want to make a connection with the deceased, you have to be specific about who or what you're contacting. At that time though, I left the door open to anything that was listening, good or evil. I can't recall how much time passed since I performed that little stunt. Might have been days or weeks, but my room eventually became a playground for spiritual energy. My room was located in the basement, a spot I felt was cool and kind of private for a teenager. I put up curtains to separate my room from the laundry and storage areas, which was where my father stored his military items in large olive green containers. I tell you this because it does serve a purpose later on in this story. You know the feeling you get when you know you're not alone? The vibe of someone standing close to you even though you haven't yet looked to see who's there? That's how I began to feel most of the time, so I decided to acknowledge this feeling and called out to whomever or whatever was in my room. I sat perfectly still on the floor and I focused. The only sound I could hear was the sound of the television coming through the ceiling from the living room above. If there's someone here, please knock twice. I demanded. I waited, held my breath, and of course, heard no reply. I tried several more times repeating the same words. The presence of someone else being near was so strong that the hairs on the back of my neck stood up and my anxiety skyrocketed. I noticed the room felt unusually colder. Naturally, the basement's fairly cold, so I was used to being slightly chilled, but this drop in temperature crept into my bones. I repeated my chant once more, and after no response, I gave up. As I stood though, I heard two distinctive knocks on my cement bedroom wall above my head. One, two. 
as if the knocker took great care to ensure I would hear not one, not three, but two knocks, exactly what I'd asked for. After that, I actually felt relieved and excited, and accepted that I was not alone. It still stuns me to look back and think that the knocker did not scare me. It just confirmed what I already knew, that someone or something was in the basement with me. The odd thing was that it never bothered me. Not at first, at least. I felt like I had accomplished what I'd set out to do. I'd contacted a spirit. I felt exhilarated and powerful. Although it never showed itself, I was aware of its presence. That said, it wasn't always present, but when it came, the air felt cooler and thicker and the shiver would run up and down my spine. I could easily determine if it was beside me or behind me. Having a ghost for a roommate became my norm, and at first, I didn't mention it to my family. I also noted that I only felt its presence in the basement, never upstairs or in any other area of the house, so I never felt the urge to talk about it. This fact also stuns me because at the time I was excited about it, and would normally mention such an experience to my family and to my best friends, but for months, I kept it to myself. And as the months went on, my spirit became increasingly annoying and more malevolent. One evening, I was watching a movie in my room when I felt the spirit's presence grow behind me. By this time, I would speak openly to it as if a real person was standing there, and I think because I acknowledged it, it grew stronger somehow. I told the spirit that I was watching a movie and to leave me alone. Seconds went by, and all of a sudden I felt it twirl a piece of my hair on the left side of my head. This was the first time something otherworldly had ever physically touched me, and I'll never forget it. It was as if a real person was playing with my hair. I didn't move, and I held my breath. My strand of hair felt like it would be released and then picked up again to be twirled through someone's fingers. It obviously shocked me to feel such a sensation when no one was visibly behind me, and I could not actually see the strand lift and spin, but I knew it was real. The action felt playful, as if the spirit was seeking my attention. Once again, it didn't scare me, it just surprised me. When it went for the strand a third time, I moved my head and I yelled, Stop! I'm trying to watch my movie! My voice was laced with annoyance. The presence disappeared, and I returned to the film. The story continues to give me goosebumps every time I tell it, because I've never experienced anything so intense prior or following the event. To be touched by someone who wasn't visibly there, and on more than one occasion, to feel an energy that was so strongly present, but with no physical evidence to prove it, this became a constant occurrence that drastically escalated as time went on. I'd fall asleep in my room, fully aware that I was not alone, and I'd wake up with the same sensation. Whenever it was not near me, I knew it was by my father's military stuff that took up a corner of the basement. For the longest time, I couldn't explain why, I just knew it liked to hang out there. The air would become cool, and what I can only describe as thick when it was around. This vibe was strong in that corner of the basement. As the months dragged by, I would speak to it whenever I felt it come close to me. I would talk about my day, or my negative teenage thoughts. I never received a response, but somehow I knew it was listening to me. I often had my best friend over to hang out, and I finally decided to fill her in on my haunting experience, although I don't believe we were in my room at the time of the conversation. I told her that I had a ghost. We never told lies to one another, and she instantly accepted my explanation without doubt. She then went on to tell me that a lot of military men would re return home from war back in the day and commit suicide in their basements, which sadly still happened from time to time. Many men suffered from PTSD, 
and would hang or shoot themselves. When she told me this, my stomach started to churn. I never mentioned that the spirit was often located by my father's army stuff. She told me years later that she used to feel it too and that she just knew that it was in that corner of the basement. I also always felt like the spirit was a man. Once again, I can't explain how I knew that to be true. I just felt that it was. When the spirit originally twirled my hair, it appeared to be playful and tormented me to get a reaction. But as the weeks passed, this playful energy became kind of mean. I'd be in the middle of watching a movie and suddenly it felt like someone pulled my hair. The sharp pain would disappear almost as quickly as it came. Sometimes I would question whether it happened at all. Then progressed to jabbing. It felt like someone poked me hard in the shoulder or arm. Never more than once, just a single jab that made me jump because it was so unexpected. And I never saw anyone actually poke me. I'd angrily tell it to stop, but the activity became more insistent. Finally, I chose to ignore it altogether and stopped speaking to it. This reaction, though, was not favoured by the spirit. Occasionally, it would continue to touch me. Items in my room would move from their places or go missing for days at a time. Random noises would sound in the middle of the night. The creepy thickness by my side became more constant. What was once an exciting paranormal experience drastically changed into a form of harassment. I became fearful and urged it to go away, but it never did. It disappeared for a few hours, but it would always return. I didn't feel safe when it was around, and oddly enough, I became aware that it was jealous. To this day, I'm not sure why the spirit of a man would be envious of a 14-year-old girl, but on some level, I felt like he was angry that I was alive. Finally, I learned how enraged it truly was. It was the weekend, and I was dead asleep in my bed. I often slept in because I usually stayed up the majority of the night. I remember being in the middle of a dream, and the most agonizing pain I'd ever felt ripped me out of my dream and back into reality. The excruciating pain caused me to grab my stomach and curl into a ball. The sunlight poured into my room through the basement windows and I was shocked because the spirit had never bothered me during daylight until this moment. I closed my eyes tight and couldn't breathe because the pain in my stomach was unbearable. It felt like someone took their fist and punched me in the gut so hard that the hand punctured through. This invisible fist then seemed to grab a hold of my intestines and twist them back and forth the way a laundry machine washes clothes. I'd imagined it felt the way a victim experienced a stab wound. This twisting and turning of my insides was so savage I could barely gasp my pleas for it to stop. I managed to muster the little strength I had and bellowed out, STOP! The power behind my command instantly caused the pain to vanish. I slowly sat up, suddenly exhausted, and ran up the stairs. I didn't return for my room for the remainder of the day. Following this ghostly attack on my organs and intestines, I became petrified of the entity that lingered in my basement. I no longer spoke to it like I had before, and whenever I felt its icy presence, I refused to acknowledge it. The problem with being tormented by the dead is that you feel completely helpless and lack control. Ironically though, I began to feel like it had every right to be there, just as I did. Perhaps it had been dormant for many years and my little ritual called it back to its original home. In fact, I felt more like a guest. After all, this house was a military house, what we call a PMO, and many families had come and gone before us. It was my belief that this spirit had lived in the house long before I did, and whatever heinous act it committed caused it to become trapped here somehow. I wanted to contact the dead and successfully achieve that goal. However, I changed my intentions. 
Originally, I'd only wanted to communicate, which may have been the reason I was able to attract it in the first place. It also wanted to communicate, and now I'd gone and changed the rules. I no longer paid attention to it. A few days had gone by after it forced me into a pretzel, and I was babysitting my younger brother. Oftentimes, we'd wrestle, which was a good excuse to get some sibling aggression. I was his older sister, and I took on the role of being both his older sister and the older brother he never had. We'd playfully throw punches, shove one another, and fight all over the house. That night, our battle began upstairs, but gradually moved to the basement. I tackled him and pushed him onto my bed and began choking him. Not enough to make him pass out, but using enough strength to exert dominance. I don't remember what caused us to suddenly come to a halt, but we froze on the spot. My hands were still wrapped around his neck when we both turned our head towards our father's military stuff. Standing in the corner, in the dark, was the silhouette of a man. I couldn't make out any physical features like his face or clothes because it was still too dark, but I could see the shape clearly. He stood erect, posture perfectly straight, arms at his side, and remained completely still. Although I couldn't see his eyes, he appeared to be watching us. The sight of him took my breath away, and I became paralyzed with fear. All my senses screamed danger, and my heart felt like it was going to explode from my chest. My throat tightened, and I had to swallow to speak. Without taking my eyes off the man, I whispered to my brother, Do you see that? Maybe I was losing my mind. Unfortunately, after a pause, my brother said, Yep. After he confirmed that he could see the man too, adrenaline kicked in. I shot upright and we both leapt off the bed and flew up the stairs. I still remember climbing the stairs and feeling like it was going to chase us. I slammed the door to the basement shut and we remained upstairs until mum and dad came home. A week later we moved from the house. It just so happened that my parents were separating and we moved back to my hometown with my mother. Dad was posted to another province and left a short time after we did. I don't remember going back to my room that night. All I can remember is packing up my things over the next few days and feeling like I could breathe again, like the weight of the world had been lifted from my shoulders. Years have gone by, and I can close my eyes and still see the man standing in the dark beside my father's military stuff. I can remember my hair being twirled and the twisting of my insides. Over the years, I tried to convince myself that it never actually happened, but my brother can recall it as easily as I can. He was a witness and acts as the evidence that reminds me just how real it was. The man did not follow us to our new home, and my haunting ended the moment we left the house for good. I often wonder if any of the houses following us experienced anything unusual. Ironically, I currently live 40 minutes away from that house. Last summer I decided to go for a drive, and I did stop by the house. It was empty. I got out of the car, drawn to the house, and I tried all of the doors. Naturally, they're locked. I looked in the windows of the house. It was empty, and it looked the same except for the kitchen renovations. A man at the house next door saw me looking in the window and asked if he could assist me. I noticed that the house he came from was empty too. The man in the driveway proved that this man was likely a construction worker. I explained that I'd lived in this house years ago and was interested in going inside to relive some memories. I asked if he had a key to let me in. He said he probably did and fumbled with a handset of keys. I grew excited, but unfortunately he didn't have the set that would unlock the door. He apologized and I succumbed to my disappointment. I thought about re returning and breaking in. After all, there was a basement window that I used to sneak out of and I could simply break it during the night and sneak in. Instead, I drove home and chose to believe that it wasn't meant to be. After all, I didn't really want to return to that house in the darkness.
In my heart, I feel like I will one day have the opportunity to enter the house again, whenever that may be. For a while, I didn't know why I wanted to stand in that basement. Was it to satisfy my need for closure? To get a sense of whether it still resides in the house? Curiosity? The sole reason for driving the 40 minutes to the house finally dawned on me one day. I can't explain it, but as I drove, I knew that nobody would be living in the house. I just had a feeling. I'd returned to the town over the years and I'd often stopped by to check it out, but someone always lived there. I don't know how I knew that it would be empty on this return. But the reason why I wanted to enter the house was to see if my sinister spirit was still there. And if it was, I wanted to try to release it. At the time I called it, I vaguely knew how to call forth the dead, but I never realised how important it was to free it from its purgatory. I believe without a doubt that I currently have the knowledge and the power to do that. I'd wanted to communicate with something supernatural, but I was too young to actually listen to what it wanted. I was too afraid. In a way, I owe it that much. I'll end this story now, although I feel like this chapter is far from over. I can't explain it. Somehow, it just doesn't feel complete. If anything changes, I will update you. But thank you again. Thank you to Sinister Scroller for sharing that story. Very, very interesting. Lots of crazy stuff. And of course, I do have to say thank you to those that serve in the military, regardless of what country you are in or from. More than that, if you are having a tough time with life, talk to people. It's not worth it otherwise. Scary stuff. This is a review of the 2017 movie Terrifier. Terrifier is totally a B-grade slasher gore fest. It's not a horror movie for the Saw or Conjuring generation. It's a movie made with love, I should add, for the Chopping Mall generation. So definitely keep that in mind when you consider watching this movie. The acting is B-grade. It's pretty great at times, but it's pretty terrible at others. The video work is not really amazing, but it's often very deliberate. Sound and video quality is not top of the line, but that's not what fans of this kind of movie are here for. Anyway, it's been a long while since I watched a movie like this, so... I actually went looking for a best of list, looking specifically for a best gory list of the last couple of years. And for what I found, this movie came up number one on several different lists. Even though I'd watched the trailer and seen it pop up on my Netflix list several times, Terrifier didn't initially look like it was going to have the goods. It just looked too, it looked too cheap, I guess is what I'm going to say. But I am glad I gave it a shot. In the good old-fashioned horror style of who cares why, a psychotic clown terrorizes a bunch of people in an old abandoned warehouse. He terrorizes them to death, of course. Stabbing them, slicing, cutting them in half, stomping on their heads, you name it, he does it, and it's gory. Actually, I have to hand it to the filmmakers. The gore in Terrorizer is top-notch. It, of course, often looks a bit unnatural, but if you don't get too critical, it's downright off-putting. There's blood and gore everywhere. And the clown? Like any good indestructible killer, he moves slowly, methodically, 
and quietly. In fact, he's mute, a kind of mime clown killer. Even when he gets stabbed, he feigns screaming. It's pretty amusing. I don't even know what to say. He's he's just a, a brilliant new character. It's not going to blow anyone's mind for any philosophical statements that it's going to make. It's just a straight horror film with an invulnerable killer, and who cares why. It's definitely not for everyone, but if you like these old school B-grade gore flicks, it is well worth checking out. And Terrorizer 2 is in production, and you bet your ass I'll be checking that out at some point. I'm pretty sure it's not too far away from being released, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to review it now, so that I can review the shit out of Terrifier 2 as soon as it comes out, and you bet I'll be all over it. Alrighty, that is the end of the primary content for episode 7. Lots of really good stuff. It was so much longer than I expected it to be, which isn't actually a problem. Who cares? Yay. Yay world. But why did I choose these topics? To be honest, I have, what do I got? One, two, three, four. I have four other myths already semi-written up. One of them is another Japanese folklore, and I don't necessarily think I want to do more Japanese folklore in season one, because I've already done some in season one already, and I think there's plenty of other folklore out there. There's Chupacabra, but again, that's kind of Mexican, and I'm kind of putting that off. Uh, and there's a couple of others that I have written, but I, I figured that, hey, I actually need to get a bit more myths written up for potential episodes for this season. I just started thinking of some things that came up with a couple of ideas, and I was listening to the band Behemoth, and I thought, hang on, Behemoth is a thing. And Leviathan is a thing, and they're both kind of related. So I decided to read up on them, and there wasn't a lot to them, to be honest. Uh, the main thing that really makes up that, that content is the sections from the Bible. But when I read those sections, I thought that was cool. So I decided that's what I wanted to share for this week. So let me know what you think of the stories of Leviathan and Behemoth. The ghost story was really, really long. It was actually sent to me in three parts. Initially, I was considering splitting it up, but I don't think splitting up a story and telling it over multiple weeks is a really good idea. I was thinking of cutting it down, but in the end, I thought there's a lot of really good stuff in the story, and even though it is maybe, maybe pretty long, it's worthwhile because there's a lot of different scary sections in that story, and you know it wraps up fairly well as well, so... Yeah, that's the reason I chose that one. And Terrifier, like I said at the start, uh, I chose because I did discuss it last week in brief. I mentioned it at some point when I was talking about B-grade horror movies, so I thought, stuff it, let's get it, let's get it out of the way. Plus, Terrifier 2 is coming up at some point. I don't know if it's coming out this year or next year or when, but I'm hoping it's this year. And I'm hoping I can get Terrifier 2, if not in Season 1, in Season 2. Now, I do have plenty of reviews for the rest of Season 1, so maybe I'll leave it to Season 2, but we'll see. We shall see. Anyway, that's why I chose those three particular stories slash topics slash whatever. This week's topic is going to be about aliens. So I have talked about the sci-fi movie Aliens several times, but 
I just love sci-fi. I talked about The Expanse when we were talking about Leviathan. I like sci-fi almost as much, if not more. Hmm, I don't know. I like sci-fi as much as I like horror, is what I'm trying to say. And when I can mix sci-fi and horror together, hmm, beautiful. For example, uh, what's that movie called? My friend and I used to call it Hot Spatula, but it wasn't called Hot Spatula. It was called Event Horizon. What a great movie. Event Horizon is so many different weird things all rolled into one, including gory as fuck horror movie, weird sci-fi, and just completely out there Hellraiser style, fucks with your head kind of horror movie. Absolutely love it. Why do I love sci-fi and aliens? I guess the universe is just so immense and there has to be something out there. And, you know, I've, I loved the X-Files when I was a youngster. And much like Fox Mulder, I also want to believe. I'd love for aliens to be real. Yeah, I watch a lot of, vid- uh, you know, UFO sightings and all that kind of stuff on YouTube. And none of it looks very real. It all looks kind of crap. But the fact that we're starting to see you know, the US government acknowledge certain videos as being real and filmed by the US government themselves. I find that pretty interesting. But who knows, really? Yeah, we'll see. But aliens are another thing I I really think are cool. And when I get to mix it with horror, like the Alien series and, and things like that, it's something I also really love. So I do, I like sci-fi books. I like sci-fi movies. I like sci-fi music. I like sci-fi comic books. Yeah, sci-fi and horror. Cha-ching, get into it. This week's secret. This week's secret, 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 secret. Ever since I was a kid, I would sometimes lie awake in bed asking aliens to come. Sometimes I would even want them to, like, take me. Not to do, like, freaky sex stuff to me or anything like that, but I just figured, ever since I was a kid, I figured aliens are an advanced race. They've probably got advanced, like, health cool stuff. So why can't they just come down and fix me and my family up if any of us have got any problems? You know, cancer, big C word. Or, you know, help us lose weight without having to actually do stuff. (laughs) All that kind of stuff. Why can't the aliens just come down and give us some of their superior knowledge? Maybe make me a superhero while they're at it. And then, pium, off they go. This has been a common thought of mine at night, ever since I was a kid. And even now, as an adult, I still sometimes think that, wouldn't it be cool if aliens just came? That'd be super cool. The other night, I woke up in the middle of the night. It was four o'clock in the morning. My room was lit up like, uh, I don't even know, like it was daytime. I have some heavy, heavy, thick curtains. So, you know, they blocked out most of the light, but still the light was coming around the curtains and it lit up my room like it was the middle of the day. And I picked up my phone. I looked at it. It was 4 a.m. And I was like, <gasps> aliens. And I looked out the window and now nah, there was a big ass truck with lights shining on my window out there. It wasn't aliens. 
disappointed. It could have been aliens, actually. I didn't really look at it properly. Maybe I was abducted. Pretty sure it was just a trap. Anyway, that's my secret for this week. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, leave us a review, spread the word. Yeah, we need to grow. Growth encourages me to continue making these episodes because they do take me a long time to prepare for. (laughs) Help me grow. Help me grow. Anyway, thank you again for listening to episode seven of season one of Chaos to the Fly. I look forward to seeing you again next week and being inside your ears. Bye. Chaos to the Fly might mostly be my little project, but it couldn't be what it is without the help of some key individuals and resources. So I'd like to thank the following. Thanks to Simon Exley for his brilliant music making skills, providing all music used in the show. You can look for his work at inexilerecords.bandcamp.com. Thanks also to Mr. Mr. Yarn for his glorious voice work, which you can hear in the intro and outro. You can find him at disco underscore box on Twitter. And last but not least, thank you to Simon Sherry, who provided the excellent artwork for the show, including our spooky mascot. Follow Simon at Simon Sherry on Twitter. Before I go, however, I should mention that the sound effects were obtained from zapsplat.com. And if you're looking for me, you can find me at Mad Capsules on Twitter. Thanks for listening to another episode of Chaos to the Fly. It would really help if you could leave us a review on iTunes or simply share the podcast with others you feel may be interested. To keep the spooky conversation going, follow us at Chaos to the Fly on Twitter and Facebook. Back to work, flies. <laughs>